0: Hi, y'all. Christmas and New Year's Eve are coming up, and if you're hosting, you're probably busy with the holiday's last-minute tasks, like picking up some booze and cleaning the grout in the bathroom before any family shows up. On today's episode, we talk to the founder of Avua Cachaca, Pete Nevangloski, about how aged versions of the Brazilian spirit can work in your favorite cocktails. We try out celebrity beers with Maude, and Kevin and Peter give tips on keeping both your grout and your chimney sparkly clean. Also on this episode... We talk mustache facts and a few podcast regulars give suggestions for their favorite holiday movies. Bust out the eggnog, y'all. I'm your host, Jacqueline Detweiler, and you're listening to the most useful podcast ever. So I don't know if we've told you podcast listeners, but we're all uh, transitioning over into the web, the Internet. We're print and Internet and sound editors now because so we, we're platforms. already podcasts. Yeah, we're doing all yeah. sorts of things. And so we wanted to get up a story on the web about what we thought our best Christmas movies were. And I don't think it's even really like popular mechanics-y, is it? It's not like... No, I thought about...
1: At first I was like, should this be just popular mechanics? Christmas? And I was like, no, it's about the season. Like, everybody gets excited. It doesn't really matter what your hobby is. You get excited for Christmas movies, I think.
0: And Christmas is kind of... Poppy Mechanics, anyway, because you got to, Santa DIYs all the toys. There's all those elves working. It's yeah. a workshop. You got to hang lights. He's flying Bring things. Bring in a tree, around. cut stuff. That's right. Yeah. So, we're basically going to tell you what all <laughs> of our favorite Christmas movies are. And, you know, if you are sitting around wondering what you should watch tonight, maybe this is helpful.
1: Yeah. It was super fun, too, because we just went on like the Slack channel, which is something a lot of us also don't really know how to do or just learning. Oh,
2: my God. We sound so old. And, well,
1: uh, this is how I feel. <laughs> I was I'm speaking, like, I'm speaking like only to myself. What
2: are you, 24? Yeah.
0: You're not old. But we sound old being like, oh, slack. That's true.
1: But Um, everybody got so excited about like throwing their movies out there.
0: Well, yeah, people get excited to have opinions, as you can tell from (laughs) all of our X facts that turn into X opinions, which happens on here a lot. So who should we start with? Eleanor, what was your favorite Christmas movie? So I only had one contribution
2: because I only ever watched one Christmas movie. (laughs) My family and I, every single year on Christmas Eve, we all squish onto our couch with our two dogs and watch how the grinch stole christmas the original animated version from like obviously 1966 yeah. it's perfect it's a perfect story it's a perfect movie it's only 26 minutes long so it's like not a big commitment boris karloff narrates it which is just great and it's dr seuss's original book you know it's a redemption story because the grinch like his heart grows three Two, sizes oh is it Two three sizes, sizes? Oh, it's three sizes i should yeah it's yeah. three sizes well i'm not the
0: one who watches it every year i don't, yeah. I don't know yeah coming okay. up on 25 times this year. That's amazing. Yeah. So that's a good one. That's a great one. Kevin, what'd you do?
1: Well, so I I like pulled the list together, so it's hard to just pick one, but there were two, I guess, from my family. One is Christmas Vacation, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which was like the stupid humor movie that we could always all sit around and watch. And this is the one where Chevy Chase's cousin Eddie kidnaps his boss for him. This is like the scene I rewatched over and over and I was writing this list. Where he's so excited he's getting a bonus and he tells the whole family when the bonus check comes, he's going to like buy them all a vacation to Italy or something. And uh-huh. he opens a check and it's a membership to like a cheese of the month club or something. <laughs> and he gives this huge rant about how like he wishes his boss was just like tied to a chair there right now. If anybody wants to give him anything for Christmas so he could tell his boss like what a low life he is. Uh-huh. And then the like crazy cousin like immediately is like <gasps> and drives off and kidnaps the <laughs> boss. So that's that movie. And then we also would always watch It's a Wonderful Life, which I think is a great movie, but it's also like encapsulates how families get together around Christmas because my dad loved it. would like cry through half the movie. My mom thought it was like the most boring thing ever and like could not stay on the couch for the whole. Like, I don't even know if she's seen the whole movie. My brother wouldn't even try to watch it. So it's like one of those things where it's like it was always on every year, but it was like, these are the family (laughs) dynamics.
0: That's great. (laughs) So mine is The Snowman, which is drawn on celluloid. Is that what that's Mm. called? I think so. In uh, pastels. And it is based on a book from, I want to say, the 1970s. So it's really old. It's very popular in England. If you're an English listener, you probably know all about The Snowman. But it is very short as well. I I forget how many minutes, but like 25-ish and it's basically about this little boy who builds a snowman. And it's like a really beautiful snowman that he makes, like better than any snowman that I've ever made, certainly. I and mean, the snowman comes to life and takes him to the North Pole. And there's no words in the entire thing, hmm. except for a song that is sung by, I think it's like a child from the St. Patrick's Cathedral Choir. It's like some very famous cathedral choir. And it's absolutely beautiful. And then I won't tell you what happens at the end, but you can probably guess. And it's very sad. <laughs> and I cry every year. I've never that I seen this it. one. I really want to yeah, watch it. Yeah, I've watched it. This is like our family all watches it. And then we're all like teary eyed. And then we're like, well, should we have Christmas dinner? <laughs> like that kind of thing. <laughs> the author actually said that it's about death is what he says, which is interesting for a Christmas movie, but it's also very beautiful. So hmm. I highly recommend it. Should we get a few other people in here to Yeah, let's like? ask everybody. Okay, let's do it. So you will notice now that there are two different people in the room. We have Peter and Amy, who Peter is here all the time. But Amy Bartol is our managing editor and has been on here once before, I think, to talk to Peter, actually. Really? Exactly. Oh, yeah. for kids. Yes. It was
3: kid stuff. Kid yeah. stuff. Yeah.
0: So, Peter, what was your favorite Christmas movie?
3: I heard I'm allowed to do two. Oh. Only because Kevin, <laughs> I gave them to Kevin. And Kevin thought that I hated one that I gave to him, which is not true because we watch it every year. It is a made for TV version of The Christmas Carol of uh-huh. George C. Scott.
0: <laughs> you watch that? How do you watch that every year? My
3: parent. it was a Christmas Eve tradition that they made happen. What
0: do you mean? You like taped it?
3: Yeah, it's on a VHS that's tape. That's amazing. We haven't watched it lately, I think, because the tape quality got so bad. Um, <laughs> Someone still movie. owns
4: a VCR to play that? Uh, we on, certainly though? do. I'm impressed. In the basement.
3: Um, I'm impressed.
4: <laughs>
0: you guys all file down in the basement <laughs> to watch a scary Christmas movie? <laughs> it's
3: not that scary. There's one scary moment, and that's what Kevin got too attached to. But at the end, he opens up his robe, and it's like, It's two little emaciated kids that are supposed to signify two things that if I were better at preparing for podcasts, I would know right now. (laughs) It was in my write-up I sent to Kevin. I
0: remember Kevin sent that through our office Slack channel, that photo of that (laughs) scene. And it was like the Red Rum Twins from The Shining, only in a Christmas movie. So, you know, it's scary.
3: Other than that, it was really good. Taught you a lot of lessons. (laughs) Okay. Be a nice person. Is it called A Christmas Carol? Yes. Okay. George C. Scott. Don't watch the other ones. I guess there's the Mickey Mouse one you could watch too. That one's probably pretty good.
0: Isn't there one with Bill Murray? Scrooge, Scrooge, that's a great one. Isn't that's on on our list? list. Oh, excellent!
3: But the one that is not on our list, that's going to need to be updated. Uh huh. The Last Holiday with Queen Latifah.
4: What's that?
3: So good. It's so dumb.
4: The Bucket List story, right? She thinks she's dying. She thinks she's going to
3: die, and so she takes all of her money and goes to this place in the Czech Republic that's super fancy with a bunch of rich people. She's a chef, or really into food, and so she just orders everything on the menu. And the chef, played by Gerard Depardieu, um, really appreciates her and comes out and talks to her, and she changes lives. And she changed mine when I watched it with my family.
0: But then she doesn't die. Oh, you can't tell me. Well, I haven't
4: seen it. <laughs> exactly. I'm guessing. <laughs> okay. Spoiler alert. I mean, come on, I'm guessing.
3: <laughs> it is a dumb movie, but it's a fun movie. Okay. And the whole point is like you don't sit around with your family to watch deep, movies that oh, are gonna yeah, teach you something. I
0: said I, I love the snowman, which is the writer said is actually about death. Okay.
3: So
4: but but it's it's you have a different
3: family than it's I, pretty, I do.
4: <laughs> I have to agree with you. We watch the funny movies that you don't have to pay attention yeah. to. Like it's just there in the background, everyone knows the story. You're not gonna miss anything if you walk away and go get your eggnog and come back. Right. So
0: Good point. Ooh, eggnog. I forgot eggnog. about
4: eggnog. Got to have eggnog. I'm going to when the store what's tonight. I'm going to get some eggnog. Nice. Well, you don't drink eggnog. This is like
0: curdled you, milk you or something. You wouldn't drink eggnog. No.
3: <laughs> Amy, what's your movie? <laughs> I don't drink eggnog either. To no. be honest, it just sounds all the shows. Like you get your eggnog. <laughs> I've Sandra heard. Of course, people drink eggnog.
4: Other people in my family do. I don't. My favorite movie. It's because of my kids. Is Prep and Landing Disney movie. It's only on TV. It was just on last night, and my kids were glued to the television set. It is the smartest TV movie that I've seen about Santa's elves and how it helps him answer every question that parents get every year. How the heck does Santa visit so many kids in one night? And it's because of these super smart special ops elves who come and prep the entire house before Santa arrives. Uh, They have all this high tech equipment. They're super funny. And the reindeer are like these crazy fighter pilot type characters. It's absolutely hysterical. It's one of the few movies that parents do not feel dumb for watching. Oh, that's great. So I'm a huge fan.
0: And I feel like in the Google age it must be tough to like convince the kids because they you know, they're right. like, Okay, how does Santa do this when and you've got Google? You oh, guys yeah. know that you can look up where Santa is we on Maps, follow- oh, right? Cool.
4: Oh, we follow him on Noah every oh, year. You got it. see that when seems I a little
0: more professional. When no, I was a Google kid
4: <Mouses>. When I was a kid, you called on the phone. There was like an 800 number. <laughs> wow. And they would say, oh, it was a message. And Santa's yeah. now over Greenland and he's going to be in your house in a certain amount of hours. Make sure you go to bed. Now we go online and we check Noah and there's Santa traveling from country to country. And so you know where to expect it. So you got to be like, you kids got to go to bed. Exactly. Your kids get up at like six
0: o'clock in the Oh my God, yes. The,
4: I mean, yes, before the sun rises, they're waking us up. Like <laughs> the rule is we, mom and dad have to have a cup of coffee before time, but they just like sit cup there Cup of waiting.
3: eggnog, classic no. Christmas tradition coffee. in the Bartle.
4: Cup of breakfast eggnog. <laughs> it's all we can do to like manage to sit there while the wrapping paper goes flying all over the living room. So, but yes, cup of coffee and prep and landing. Nice. Big fan. Sounds good. And then of
0: course, there's always uh, the Yule Log too. I, mean, I always put the Yule Log on. We have oh, that, that on the TV. VGH, it's not a movie, but you know, yeah, you can put the Yule Log on TV. Yeah.
3: I guess.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm you don't sure have you so I, I'm not surprised that your favorite movie is Scrooge. Do you remember? <laughs> no, like, it's not. That wasn't mine. That, you... wasn't mine. <laughs> that
3: wasn't <I didn't>, mine. <laughs> I'm not down on egg, Christmas beverages. I just think eggnog sounds disgusting.
0: What's your favorite Christmas beverage? A hot beverage? chocolate. Oh, okay. That's all right. Yeah. I'm so excited
3: to be Santa now that we have a kid and just put stuff I want to eat on the mantle, which for kids who are listening is for santa but if i get there first it's okay
0: <laughs> i know we should have said spoiler alert uh if you are a child uh, maybe i'll say at the beginning of this one if you are a child stop listening it's also like, we curse and drink beer on here i don't think i'm pretty kids sure listening. we're okay
4: the kids aren't listening to us right now so they should be so
0: for today's testing table we have with us avua kashasa founder pete nevanglosky welcome pete
5: Good to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So, cachaça is a really cool liquor. Is it Brazilian? Is that the origin?
5: It is. It is. It's an appellation of Brazil. So, it's actually been made for 500 years down there, but can only come from Brazil. Oh, that's the cool. cachaça.
0: And how is it different than, like, it's made out of sugarcane, right? Correct. And how is it different from rum? Because is rum also made out of sugarcane?
5: So, the majority of rum that you might encounter are molasses-based. Ah. So basically a byproduct of sugar production, kind of a syrup, which then go through fermentation to distillation, kind of retain a bit more of that residual base. Cachaca is produced from cutting, pressing, fermenting, and distilling cane juice, which gives it kind of an earthier and drier experience on the palate. Okay. Uh, we, we like to kind of describe it as somewhere between rum and tequila for the unindoctrinated.
0: <laughs> and how did you get into doing this?
5: <laughs> I'm a have?
0: <laughs> uh, give us the quick and dirty version so
5: I came from a marketing background but had a number of bartender friends in New York who you know were into unique spirits and exposed us to a lot of different things my business partner named and I, and ended up down in Brazil and had some really really unique products particularly uh, aged in some native woods ended up bringing a bottle back and my friends were kind of losing their mind so it's just kinda of the right time of looking to do something out of the corporate universe and experiencing this stuff and just kind of started as a side project where we tried to find the best product we could, actually tasting over four hundred different cachaças.
0: Wow. wow. How long did weeks. that take?
5: Six weeks. Oh, six weeks. Like and a lot, uh, a lot of a lot of rice beans and steak. A few times getting lost in the middle of nowhere in Brazil. But really exciting journey and uh We snuck 50 of those bottles back in a suitcase, (laughs) of which uh, 47 made it. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. But yeah, we blind tasted those and fell in love with the one that's produced by uh, our distributor partner, Katia, down in Rio State. So, And then built the brand Avoa around that.
0: Wow. And so part of the reason we wanted to talk to you today, you guys have a new cachaça out, is that correct? It's one that's we aged do, in indeed. a particular sort of wood. And so part of the reason we thought that was interesting is I heard that cachaça historically has aged in more kinds of wood than any other spirit.
5: That's right. So there are over 30 types of wood that cachaça is aged in. Oh, wow. It's a really interesting tradition that started out actually with a kind of happenstance. So there's a lot of cachaça that historically was produced on the coast, particularly in an area called Padachi in Rio State. Uh-huh. And they would make the cachaça and bring it into the interior. So there was a rich mining area called Gerais, And when you have miners with money, they like to drink. So they had to get some booze to them. And they would put the cachaça on ox carts in the vessels they had, which happened to be French oak barrels. And that journey would take months, and they realized kind of upon extracting cachaca that it imparted a really unique flavor to the spirit. And in classic kind of Brazilian fashion, it was like, hey, we have all these other woods. Let's try them out. (laughs) Um, So the diversity of plants and trees and things like that in Brazil is massive. So I think through probably much of a trial and error process, we've kind of come to the point now where there's this deep tradition of really unique wood aging and specific flavor profiles that are derived from that.
0: Cool. Well, we have a couple of samples from you guys here. Is the Ambarana, is that the new one?
5: The newest one is a wood called Balsamo.
0: Balsamo. Okay, we have that one too.
5: We have a couple unaged products. The Prata is kind of the classic. So it's an unaged Prata means silver. Uh Um, That is the base of then what is now five wood age marks that we have. So we have a French oak and then a number of different native wood age, which includes the Ambarana and includes the Balsamo.
0: Okay. We actually have a bunch of these here. I have the Prada right now. I'm going to pour some for Eleanor.
5: I would start there. Okay. Kind of going to give a baseline for what the product is, what the category represents.
0: And Eleanor, you've never had Cachaca before. I have never had Cachaca before.
5: Oh, excellent. pleases me that this is the first.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's a really interesting spirit. You hear that some people love it and some people hate it. Do people say that to you?
5: I would say that most people are just unfamiliar with the profile. Mm-hmm. And there's a really big difference, as with many spirit categories, between industrial produced cachaça and artisanal cachaça.
0: So to me, cachaça always, it's, it has like a fun, like funkiness to it, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And then it just tastes, I don't even know, it tastes like a more vegetal rum, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Kind of. 100%.
5: But, yeah. I, I think in general, I mean, there are there are other cane rums, as we might call them like rum agricole. There's things coming from Haiti, like Clarion and Mexico and things of this nature. I think this is a really an unexplored terrain Mm -hmm. where you're getting terroir elements that are imparted, right? So you really can taste where is it grown, what types of cane, the yeast, the soil, all those things have a huge impact on it that's not necessarily the same in molasses-based rum universe. So I think there's a lot to dig into even not just in cachaça, but in the kind of broader, you know, sugarcane rum category.
0: Okay. We have a number of different, the wood expressions that you guys do. Uh, balsamo, I'm guessing, is balsam wood. Is that correct?
5: So it's actually not. It's a oh. wood called balsamo, which is sometimes called <laughs> Santos mahogany.
0: Oh, okay.
5: So it's a kind of a darker, denser wood that is a kind of a maroon side. Oh. And this wood is in the tradition, as with the Ambarana, uh, what we would call resinous woods. There's actually no toasting or charring in the barrel. It's the oil and the sap of the wood interacting with the spirit.
0: Oh, interesting. And then the other ones we have, we have, I'm going to pronounce these all wrong, Tapanoa. Tapinoa. uh uh-huh. Okay. The oak, I'm guessing, is the French oak, you were saying.
5: That is indeed.
0: And then here we go with this one. Here it is. Jequitiba rosa?
5: (laughs) Jequitiba rosa. Oh, my God, that's That's so much different than what I said. That's better than most, yeah. That's the hardest one, I would say. Where I would suggest you go in order would be, I would try the French oak
0: okay. first,
5: because okay. that'll really give you the context of what happens when you take a shot and you put it into a more familiar vessel, Okay. and then we can kind of dive in. I think we go to the Ambarana, then the Balsamo from there, and then wherever you guys want to go.
0: Okay. All right. So here's some oak. All right.
5: Try that. Thank you. What did you think of the Prose? by the way, for first-time try?
2: I feel like I've now ruined all other cachaça for myself, and I didn't even know it. Yeah. that was <laughs> a thing. It was really good. It, like, smells sweet, but I agree with Jackie that the aftertaste is, like, a little more earthy. Yeah, it's yeah. cool.
5: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, a lot of people will say banana plantain. Some will say floral. Some will even say some olive. But it's kind of viscous and has a little bit of that cane sweetness, but it finishes pretty dry. Yeah. So it makes a great Negroni, for example, or mm. a great tiki drink or, or things of that nature.
0: Oh, that's a good idea, Put in a Negroni. I haven't even thought of that. Love it. This aged one, that, so we're having the oak one right now. Is awesome. I've never had H- aged cachaça. That's hard to say. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know why I've never heard of it before. I mean, are there other importers that are doing it in the U.S.?
5: It's pretty selective in the U.S., it's a deep tradition in Brazil. I mean, you'll find there are 5,000 documented producers down there. So there's tons of depth to this category. It's actually the third most drunk in the world by volume. Oh, wow. So we really haven't hit the tip of the iceberg in the U.S. But we definitely have the widest range, potentially even in the world. Uh, I'm not quite sure, but certainly in the U.S., uh, no one quite has the range of page stuff that we have.
0: So that you said next, what did you say, the, uh, the Ambarana?
5: I would go to the Ambarana next. So okay. The Ambarana is kind of our calling card. It's about a third of our business. Oh, wow. It's really popular in the cocktail bartender universe and home bartender universe. So this is uh, wood that's in the teak family. They're very large barrels of all of these. These are three or 5,000-liter vertical barrels. So imagine a 15-foot-tall barrel.
0: That's a big barrel.
5: um, (laughs) Of a very dense wood that's kind of on the lighter side color-wise and pretty light to the touch.
0: This is delightful.
2: I really like this. (laughs) It's, like, almost spicy at the end. Yeah, Yeah. and it smells sweet, which I'm getting, like, banana a little bit, which I guess is the plantain you were mentioning earlier.
5: Yeah, I mean, the most common thing, I do hear a lot of, like, cinnamon baking spice,
0: Mm.
5: nutmeg, banana bread. Oh,
0: nutmeg. I can get that.
5: And it's interesting because it has all these kind of dessert-type aromas and palate, but it's still very dry. Right. Right. There's no additive sugar, which makes it a very versatile spirit. So bartenders love this for... Sours or tiki or hot drinks or eggnog. And there's really so many ways to take that flavor profile.
0: All right. So then the balsamo is the new one. So let's do that one.
5: Yeah. So balsamo, two 3,000 liter barrels. So again, big barrels, kind of denser wood, another prominent wood. So ambarana and balsamo, I would say, are probably the most utilized in Brazil after oak, which is still the most common. But you'll see them on sipping menus. You know, cachaça aficionados are really big fans of these kind of flavors.
0: Wow, that's so different. This ones it's so smooth, and it has a honey flavor, I think.
5: That's interesting. Yeah. No? It has, like, an interesting viscosity. Like, it's kind of silky up front, but then pretty yeah. dry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hear a lot of, like, spiced pear. I hear herbaceous notes. It's very expressive, but to your point, in a totally different way. And therefore, you can utilize it in a totally different way. If you guys want to continue... Tasting through, I think another one that was just super differentiated is the Jekka Okay. Which is a really light imparting of flavor, a really kind of different profile that comes through with
0: it. Okay. Oh, you're right. This is a lot lighter. I like it. Yeah, it is. I feel like this almost tastes like something I've had before and I can't think of what it is.
5: <laughs> <laughs> to your point, it's really delicate. I think there's kind of some like floral red fruit up front, but then a lot of minerality. This is the only one we really hear compared to wine, and it's typically like white wines with a lot of minerality on it.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I mean, this is so cool of you to lead us through this, I think. Thank you for letting us check these out. And if you're a listener, check out Avwa Kashasa. They have a lot of different new tastes, including this balsamo wood expression, and uh, I think it's worth tasting them. Yeah. Thanks, Pete, for calling us.
5: Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's right. been a pleasure. Yeah. All right, have a good one.
0: it's time again for your favorite segment stash facts. stash facts stash
1: facts it's like the first facts where like i have this i think oh hey.
0: you do have a stash hey jackie
2: what i mustache you a question oh no is oh, it gonna be geez. like this but i'll shave it till later <laughs> <Stop> <laughs> it. all right so do you guys want mustache patents or mustache history first Which one is which one is better? They're both incredible. Oh lord! Um, Let's do the history first. Yeah, let's do. I want to be
1: grounded in the subject before I think about the innovations.
2: Okay. (laughs) The setting: Paris. The time: (laughs) April. So into (laughs) this is like the most fun I've had in a long time. The year: 1907. The month is April. Waiters were going on strike to demand better pay, more time off, and the right to grow mustaches. Wow. Yes, this is a real thing. So apparently, as with everything in Europe, mustaches were like a status symbol. Having that facial hair had been uh, a mark of privilege and status in Europe. And when restaurants came about, people were essentially paying for the experience of like dining in an upscale home with like servants and and the like. And so to recreate that feeling of like dramatic power over someone else, (laughs) the waiters were told that they could not grow mustaches so that they would, like, appear subservient. And this was apparently, like, a huge deal in Parisian society. Like, so all these waiters went on strike, and apparently, like, everyone got caught up in the whole, like, mustache furor. The
0: mustache (laughs)
2: furor. There were American tourists who arrived in Paris and (laughs) were chased out of town. They they got, like, a hostile reception because they were clean-shaven, and they were accused of basically being strike breakers. Wow. And the LA Times reported at it, on it at the time. That's incredible. Um, so that that is my favorite I'm, uh, story. Stash scabs. <laughs> St- <laughs> exactly. Um, if the patents
0: are any bit as good as the history, I'm already excited. Okay.
2: So there are a lot of mustache-adjacent patents, but these are my favorites. Basically, they all revolve around, like, not getting your mustache dirty while you're eating or drinking. <laughs> that guess. does seem to be the primary problem with mustaches, problem. doesn't it? There was a patent. In 1879, called the mustache cup and glass, which was unlike other mustache cups that were already on the market. What is a mustache cup? It's going to be difficult to explain without the visual, but it's a cup. It kind of looks like a sippy cup because it has like a little rest for your your mustache. (laughs) Like if you can imagine, if you're bringing like a cup to your lips, like your mustache would hit this like little bar that's like bridging. It's a little guard. Yeah, mustache then, guard. Right. <laughs> but then you have like a little like opening so that you could wow. Sip. Okay. So, then there was the mustache guard in 1890 by the amazingly named Reuben P. Holland's head. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sounds like a man with a mustache. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's basically just like a little thing that again that you like just put around your mustache like keep it locked away like while a you're eating. Like a mustache case? Yeah. Basically.
1: How does it hold on?
2: I don't like, like eyeglasses. It
1: has a clip like a yarmulke, like <laughs> slide it right on there. Yeah,
0: and then, I'm picturing like the eyeglasses that are on like a chain, but it's just over your mustache. That's basically what it Maybe is. Maybe it
1: like meets in the middle, like the guy's glasses on.
2: Uh, oh, they like hook onto each yeah. other. These are all from like the late 1800s. So apparently there was. So it has a lot of mustache this innovation. Is nail. Yeah, but <laughs> I have a couple more quick hits for you oh, to, pl- to bring please, us into going. the 21st century. In 2017, Salvador Dalí's Body was exhumed as part of a paternity suit, and you know he had that like amazing, famous mustache, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he died in 1989, so like almost 20 years later, he was exhumed, and his mustache had been perfectly preserved, (laughs) like it was in the same position. (laughs) That strikes me as very Salvador. It really does, like Like, like just a corpse that has this
0: perfect mustache mustache on it,
2: exactly. And then I don't know if you guys remember this, but when they made. Justice League, I think that was either earlier this year or last year. Henry Cavill, who played Superman, he had grown a mustache for a different film and they had to like reshoot scenes with him being clean shaven. And Paramount refused to let him shave to reshoot these scenes. And so
0: Warner Brothers CGI'd a clean shaven. <laughs> <now. laughs> onto his face. <laughs> because Superman cannot be mustachioed. Is no. That the thing? Well, what would, you, what would you do with a mustachioed Superman? You'd be like, you're oh, like, ask him what's wrong. <laughs> it's well, like, he's like, I'm going through some things. I also got a car. <laughs> do you think all like... French superheroes have mustaches? They oh. should. I mean, it is the national character. Yeah. yeah. And that's been Stash back. Stashback. So it's all fun and games to talk about what you want for presents for the holidays, but you also have to clean your house. <laughs> if yeah. People are coming over, <laughs> which I learned last year when my family came up to visit me. I, like, deep cleaned my apartment, and I was like, this will just take one day. And then I was, like, two days later cleaning the baseboards on my hands and knees, and I was like, there's a lot to do in this house. <laughs> baseboards
1: are the worst thing to clean,
0: they, I think. Oh, it sucks. Well, in my case, they're old Greenpoint from the whatever era baseboards and they're like painted with old weird paint that's gritty and so like you try to wipe them down but then like you get little sponge niblets <laughs> on it and it's terrible so we have both Kevin and Peter here Peter has been talking to who are you talking to Joe about, and he is he's our been,
3: well he is a he has like 30 years of DIY experience and he's a carpenter and um Basically, i talked to him. He knows everything. Yeah, he's like Roy. I feel right. like he and I know, Roy just well, hang I know, out I and talk about I feel like he really.
0: and Roy, like I hear their names together. Yeah, right. they're in a club. I, I, somehow I've never met Joe Torini.
3: Well, he lives in Connecticut uh, and does not come into the office. Oh, so, he's so that's yeah. probably why. That makes sense. But he's written for the magazine. He's starting to write a lot more for the website, so check him out
0: online. Oh. That's, uh,
3: he's doing a bunch of cool DIY home things for us. So. so
0: what did he teach you this time?
3: This was how to clean grout.
0: Okay. Which I need because, again, old apartment. Yeah, and the grout does not like and to stay clean. And just after a
3: while, it, like your regular bath cleaner doesn't do anything. Doesn't do it. Um, yeah. Before we get into this, uh huh. When you guys clean the shower, this is perhaps too intimate of a question. Do you clean the shower while you're showering? No, you. No. I do, and Meryl makes fun, my wife makes fun of me. Yeah,
1: because it's gross. It honestly never all... occurred to me, but I I don't think you want your first cleaning while you're in the shower because that one's gonna be gross. But if you're doing it regularly, I think I'm fine with it.
3: That was because I try to clean the shower every week. I mean, I fail miserably, but. If you're in there and it takes like three more minutes and the water's on and it feels nice, why not just spray the walls and then rinse the walls with the water? That's, oh, well, happening?
0: that's fine. I mean, like, I so have So you're not like saying that...
1: like scrub the grout with a toothbrush? You're not doing that. No. Like if I'm down on my hands and knees, then I'm done showering. We just have, <laughs> we just have one of the sprays. Like, that's what I was saying. When you're done showering, you spray on them. But I don't really know if I think it works. Yeah, that's lazy.
0: What? It that's can't lazy. work. It can't work. I mean, I,
1: I think it might work. I think work. it probably makes the stuff, the <laughs> bad stuff, grow slower. Yeah.
3: You, know who, you know who didn't mention it? Joe Truini, oh. when he taught us how to clean grout. <laughs> Did not say anything about spraying a little bit before uh-huh. you get out of the shower. So, Joe, in his story, taught me about how to get dirt and soap scum, which is probably what most people are dealing with, or mildew. I feel like it's one or the other for most of us. Yeah. But so, if it's dirt, he just suggested doing a stiff bristle brush and um, barkeeper's
1: friend. Have you guys heard about that? I oh, love barkeeper's friend. That? I That's will what... go in on Barkeeper's barkeeper, 100%. <laughs> Ride or die,
3: barkeeper's friend. And it's, I mean, you can do Comet cleanser also. Not the but same. People really seem to. Barkeeper's friend is... Uh, you. Well, hear bars the are gross. Of, have you ever
0: seen a bar after hours? <laughs> like, if it can help a barkeeper, I'm for it.
3: So, I mean, he says to just to use that and rinse it off, and that'll work for dirt. Okay. So if you are faced with mildew, it's a little grosser, and then you have to use, uh, like, an oxygen bleach, which is OxyClean, pretty much. I don't okay. know if there's another company, but i trying to avoid saying one company's name. Uh huh. <laughs> OxyClean <laughs> or another. a similar company.
0: <laughs> or or knockoff OxyClean, we whichever. We like them
3: all. But, like, 50-50, that and water, and then you, you kind of make a... You just spray it on make with like a pump-up sprayer. Well, you don't oh. make a paste because oh. you're going to spray it on. So you just put it in your sprayer. Okay. Spray it on the things. Let it soak for 10 minutes.
0: What is an oxygen bleach versus a bleach?
3: What is a question that one of us is not prepared to answer?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe we'll find out on a future
3: podcast. <laughs> it could be, yeah. But so anyway, spray it on, let it sit for 10 minutes, rinse it off. That'll take care. Because the o- OxyClean penetrates the... I've I'm, seen I'm, their I'm, commercials. I've yeah. seen. I know. Should we talk about what happens if your grout is just out of control and these cleaning methods from Dredge Queenie don't work?
0: I think that's a good idea. Then you
3: have to take it out and replace it. Oh, which, wow. That's a lot of work. That doesn't sound fun. But he was saying for little jobs, you use a grout rake when it's so when it's grout that's like a quarter inch wide or narrower than that. Um, it's just this little like six inch hand tool that you pull back down through the grout mm-hmm. and it pops it out of the joint. Huh. And for a larger job, you get to use a big oscillating multi-tool. Like those Whoa. fine tools that, and that Roy like, is takes always always playing the with grout out, yeah, and then just the oscillating blade goes down in and just takes it takes
0: it right. What if out. you chip? Wouldn't you chip your tile? Well, you're just in the grout part, oh. and that's so you got to be good at it. Yeah, I think you just don't screw up. Don't mess. Don't miss. screw up. And then Kevin is also here because you were talking about even more complicated cleaning. Yeah,
1: well, so <laughs> it's uh, gonna be easy. Full disclosure: this isn't cleaning. This is like repairing. So oh, okay. I so I was working a story about chimney repair, and I just talked to Ranya Seris. I'm sorry, Ranya, if I pronounced your name wrong. Of the Chimney Chap, which is a great chimney Chimney sweep company name. That is amazing. Yeah. Wait. Also,
0: that there are currently chimney sweep companies. So I asked
1: this. So they're they're based in Eastern Massachusetts, and I was like, you know, I'm from California. It's a newer housing stock. There's not a lot of houses with chimneys, but in like the Boston area, I thought there probably are. And she's like, no, there's a ton. She's like, every house in my neighborhood has a chimney, and like in our town that we serve, there's like seven other chimney sweep companies, but probably none with as good of a name as Chimney Chap. That's probably true. Okay. So basically, Chimney Chap.
3: Chap. So if your guests are going to go up on the roof and check out your chimney.
0: Well, or you don't want them yeah. to die of, like, carbon monoxide poisoning. That's a nice Or, like, one light your house on fire.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, so you're supposed to get this inspected once a year, which I didn't know. Peter, maybe you did. Do you have a fireplace? I mean, no. I think the building used to, but they covered yeah. them up. So once a year, the fireplace and the chimney. Most chimneys have two flues in them, which I didn't know. One for the fireplace and one for, like, your actual central heat. Like, one for your gas heater. Mm. So you have to get all this stuff inspected. So basically, when they come and clean, what they're cleaning is called creosote, and that's basically like the buildup that's created from all this like soot and ash going up. And that can be flammable, but it also can degrade. So you have like the bricks on the outside of the chimney, but the inner, the flue is lined with like clay tiles. So the creosote can degrade those. And so what she said basically with chimneys, because I was asking about repair, is that it's like a domino effect that starts at the top. So the very top of the chimney has what's called a crown, which is like a cement. Finish that basically protects the yeah. bricks so that water doesn't leak in. So that gets cracked and you don't see it because it's mm. up on top of your roof. And then water gets in there. and then it just sort of like slowly works its way down and destroys everything because the water starts to degrade the bricks. Anyway, if you're a homeowner, the rule of thumb is sort of like if you feel safe getting on the roof, stuff on the outside of the chimney you can probably deal with yourself, but anything like on the inside of the flue, should probably call someone.
0: Right. I mean, so, we've seen Mary Poppins. Look, you're gonna get right. really dirty. It's,
1: think, bad things will happen. Yeah. I black long. Also, I never really put together that like literally they just had like orphan kids climb inside flues and that's yeah. how they cleaned them back in the day. Yeah. I just I thought that was fantastical or something. But it was like, no, that was just actually the <laughs> best just, source of labor that for was small England. people. Yeah, yeah that need to fit inside a flu. So on the outside, you can do the grout thing, which is funny, is similar to or not grout, but the, um, the mortar if you need to replace them, if you need to fix the mortar, it's similar to what you were saying. So basically similar to the medium level. Shower repair, you can't just, like, stuff more mortar in. You've got to grind all the mortar out and then replace it with new mortar. She was like, you have to grind in there, like, pull the brick out, clean out everything, and then put it in and put new mortar in. Sounds hard. Um, You also should be waterproofing the bricks, so, like, power wash it and then spray it with a water sealant, which you can get. This is, like, the hardest thing on the outside of the chimney, I think, is to replace flashing, which is what water seals where the chimney meets the roof, because that actually you have to ground away brick and kind of, like, impress it into the brick, and then also put it under the shingles. Didn't you have to do flashing on your roof? Not for a a chimney, maybe, but didn't you do some flashing repair?
3: Sort of, yeah. We had a leak in the roof, and the guy had to redo the flashing around a skylight. But I hired someone to do that. There was no way I was going to do that.
1: Here's the best thing I learned, though. So the one repair I think I would feel totally comfortable making on a chimney, which I guess isn't a repair, it's like an upgrade, but so the chimney cap is just something that you put over the opening so, like, rain and snow don't just go directly down in, right? And it has, like, a little grate around it, which... Also acts as like a spark arrestor and it keeps animals out. So I learned two amazing things. One is that in Massachusetts, the chimney swift, the bird, it's a bird that uh-huh. roosts in chimneys, it's protected. So if you get like chimney swifts infesting your chimney, you just have to wait till they leave to do <laughs> anything. Like you just have to hope they go because they're protected. You can't like go flush them out.
0: Wow. Could you just
1: start a fire? I mean that's, that's it's probably me. the time of year or something. And then what maybe they you didn't know they were the like can't do you air didn't quotes didn't on the well, no. <laughs> Um, That's mean. The other thing is that they said that raccoons will nest inside the chimney and they have their babies. And where they have their babies is so there's the damper that's like just above the fireplace inside your house. On top of that. And there's like a shelf around it. So like when you open it, there's like a little angle and that's where they are. And she said that one thing they've had happen before is that there are raccoons in the chimney. Unbeknownst to the homeowner and to them when they got called to do the repairs and inspections, there were baby raccoons inside, oh, so they installed the cap. But then the raccoon just ate the cap to get to its babies. Whoa! Because the raccoons—they'll yeah,
0: eat anything. Yeah,
1: it's like a wow. mom but lifting like, a car she's, she's or whatever. Like, it'll, yeah. just, it'll just come back over and over and keep eating until it can get.
3: But inside. starting a fire wouldn't cook. Doesn't that just feel like a grill surface? That's why well, I think the, it's like this probably happens the in the spring or summer. This is why you should always run your fireplace. You should always <laughs> just, just fire in the Just to make
1: sure that's, there's no.
0: Oh, wait, are baby raccoons cute?
1: Not
3: when they're cooked.
0: Yeah, yeah ew. <laughs> probably
1: before that. Yeah. They probably. I hate raccoons though. I think adult raccoons are kind of cute, but I just think they're disgusting and very annoying.
3: Wait, yeah. so what was your fix? the The one that you were comfortable doing was that putting the, the cap cow? on.
0: Yeah, because then it's like unless like a crazy raccoon pops out of your face.
1: Yeah, I was like, how do you surrounded, she was
0: like, surrounded by chimney swifts?
1: She was like, well, if there's R-may babies in there and you have the damper closed, you'll probably hear them moving around. But otherwise, like you're just taking your chances. There's no babies in there.
3: But I think also a, a nice thing that we've learned from what you learned, <laughs> people with. Chimneys should be getting inspections every year. They should Clearly. be. Yeah. Yeah. That is yeah. not something... My parents have a chimney. I don't think they get it inspected every year. I don't think I've
0: ever heard
1: of anybody yeah. getting a chimney inspected So who do you year. call?
3: Do you call a place like Chimney Chap?
1: You call a place like Chimney Chap. Yeah. She said good. it's important you get someone certified because... And actually, before... You ask a guy who walks by the house. Well, chimney. no. I think so sorry. Before, <laughs> before I called her, I was just reading about chimney repair stuff online, and there's like a litany of reports where it's like a lot of people will tell you, like, we can look at a chimney and tell you what's yeah. wrong. And then they charge you nothing, and you do it because it seems so cheap compared... To, like, I think real chimney repairs are really expensive. And then they just don't really fix anything. They, like, put more mortar on over the existing damaged oh, mortar or whatever. Like you have to that. take the, over old the stuff yeah.
0: Over the existing raccoons. And waterproof and the, and brick. Yeah. Or they put a
1: cap on <laughs> over the raccoons. Yeah, yeah.
0: Just, just cap the raccoons right in there. Yeah. They brush off the Swifts, which is illegal. Well, uh, that sounds... <laughs> good luck. Yeah, good yeah. luck. It sounds like uh, hire a professional, but you could probably handle your grout yourself. Yeah. yeah. For today's testing table, we brought in Maude, or I guess Maud brought us in. You were determined yeah. to have this be a podcast segment. I sure was. This is something you're doing for the web, right? Is that?
6: Yes. It's a celebrity beer test. And what that means is either celebrity has helped make it or it's loosely inspired by a celebrity because, you know, there's not that many celebrities making beer nowadays. Okay, so well, how
0: did you get this idea?
6: So my first idea was to do celebrity liquor, but that's kind of everywhere. So then it came down to beer, which is oh, more our market. Oh, I see. So that...
0: This is where we are. This is where this is where we are. This is where we
6: are. <laughs> okay. I like that it's also it's some cynical. that are just
0: inspired by celebrities.
6: Oh yeah, because there's only about like three that are really made by celebrities. Yeah. So,
0: but these could be like Christmas presents if you know somebody is like a really big fan of like. Oh yeah. I don't know Van Halen or somebody. Yeah. And I mean, just, if there's like, a Brad Pitt bear. Oh, I'd get a Oh, case. I forgot that you're fan. I
6: oh, totally forgot about that. It. Ma, did you know this? Oh, I've known this for months. She sends months. me pictures of him sometimes. Wait, yes. Really?
1: Just because he's in the new Tarantino film, and when they released like the first press, like the first shot of it, it was like him and Leonardo DiCaprio like leaning against a car or something. And it was.
0: And you're really it a into.
1: Great it.
6: I feed Wait, his habit.
0: I forgot you actually went out to like I feel it was like a dinner with one of our old editors, our old articles editor. It was Sean me and Manning. Sean
1: Manning. Well, we went to dinner and we had a few drinks. And then we went to a beer bar afterwards. And I used to have long hair, but it's shorter now. And Sean has long hair. And I think somehow we started talking about... One of us said to the other something about our celebrity hair idol. (laughs) And then, obviously, Brad Pitt entered the conversation at that point. And... I was like, I love Brad Pitt. He's like, oh, me too. Top five Pitt movies right now. And then we were just discussing <laughs> oh, this feverishly oh, at
0: the bar. Oh, man. I would have loved to have been fly on the wall at this dinner. You would have. It it's sounds, true. Yeah, it sounds yeah. great. So what is our first beer? that? Well, we're actually drinking a beer. We're drinking a beer right now in case you can't tell. What is, what is this one?
6: Okay, so this first one is from Schmaltz Brewing Company. And it's a tribute to the Jewish stars. And this is Bittersweet Lenny's R.I.P.A. It is inspired by Lenny Bruce, who is a Jewish comedian. Oh, who's oh, in The
0: Marvelous Miss which is out right now, the second season? Second season. Yeah. You don't watch that, clearly. Obviously not. Did you, like- not. Do you it? I do. I really like it. I've, I'm only on the second episode of the second season because okay. I, have, I haven't I have been binging. I'm trying to keep my... Yeah, it's you
1: know. really hard to avoid, though. Yeah, Can't do
0: it like Terrace House. Okay, so we're tasting this. It's pretty good, I think. I mean, Schmaltz is a well-known brewery, isn't it? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's in New York. So Lenny Bruce was like a uh, he. He was like he got in trouble a lot back in the day, right? He was very transgressive at the time. So I think we should bear that in mind when we taste this.
0: Okay. Mm. This this tastes transgressive. I mean, an IP. It's like a just super dark multi IPA.
1: Yeah, it's rye IPA, right? Which, yes. I, if only that Allen were here, I don't know exactly what that means, but you can tell there's like a little edge to it that's different than just like
0: a very hoppy normal IPA. Okay. Right, I mean that's what I would say. I think so. Yeah. yeah. I normally am just like, yes. uh, this is great, Matt Allen. What is this?" Yeah. Yeah. Brewed
6: Brent. with an obscene amount of hops obscene. and malt, shocking flavors.
0: The obscene amount of hops and malt.
5: It's
1: like we just put a lot of everything in here. Yeah. Well,
6: that's that was what Lenny Bruce was like.
0: Just a lot of everything.
1: Yeah.
6: Mm-hmm. He's a really good character
1: on that show. He is. I like he's in the show the right amount. Like if he were in every episode or if he was like her sidekick, it wouldn't be good. But the fact that he like shows up to do a little mentoring and be funny. Like, three episodes of each season is pretty good, I think.
6: Yeah. Okay, so this is very tasty. How does this go? What do we do now? <laughs> well, you told me what you thought about it, so that's a good start, and that's kind of it.
1: Yeah. I do think it's a little more malty than I like it. I wonder how strong this is, because I've noticed that the it stronger is. IPAs get, sometimes they get a little too malty and sweet. Why don't you me. guess? I think it's over eight. It I'm is. I'm going to say
6: nine. Okay, it's 10%. Ooh.
1: Yeah. I don't have a problem with that amount of alcohol. I just, it gets sweet. The IPAs are sweeter when they get too strong, I think, yeah. which I don't. Oh, that makes I
0: don't sense. actually, I really like sweeter beers and I like beers that taste like this, but I can't order them in a bar because if you you're at a, a bar, of it. if I have two, like I normally am going to have two beers if I'm in a bar. Yeah. And if I'm going to have two of these, I'm small, so I'm going to be an embarrassment.
6: <laughs> I'm going to be wearing a lampshade on my
0: head. It's just too much too fast. You know what I mean? Yeah. What are we drinking now? What is
6: this? Okay. So this is an import from England. It is a beer made by the lead singer of Iron Maiden and a brewery. It's called Trooper Red and Black Porter. So it is a 6.8 ABV.
1: I was going to say, it doesn't taste very strong, especially for a porter.
6: It's pretty good. Let me see.
1: I think it's tasty, but it's not. I think of a porter as being a little thicker than Mm. this. You know what I mean? Can
6: I
0: say that we have tasted a few of these? We're tasting a couple on the podcast today, but we actually tasted a few in the office the other day. First of all, they, why do celebrities make so many porters? Have you figured this out? No.
1: I think Mosman said that it's like the easiest style to make.
0: Oh, Oh. right. Because you can't, they're so dark that you can't taste. It covers a
1: lot of mistakes. Mistakes.
0: Okay. Because I feel like every single one we tasted or many of them were kind of porters that didn't have a lot of body.
6: Mm -hmm. Like kind of not great
0: porters.
1: Yes. Yeah. Ma, do you have a favorite? Yeah. Is there like a celebrity that at this point you would say like, this guy, this guy can make a beer.
6: Well, my favorite one. Or gal. No gals.
0: There's really? no gals on the list. If you're a celebrity gal and you happen to listen to our podcast, I don't think there's anyone like that. But if you are That's one of those people, like, you should really make this your is own beer. This is an yeah. opportunity. Yeah. There's a hole in the market here.
6: So the best one that we tasted last whatever... Was I really like the Action Bronze and Sour.
0: Oh, yeah. That one was really good. I got got the
6: recommendations for that when I went to City Swiggers to buy these.
1: City Swiggers?
6: Yeah. It's a specialty. How how do I know about this place? It's (laughs) a specialty beer place right by my apartment at 86th and 2nd.
1: What a great name.
6: Yeah. City Swiggers. They got it all. They had. (laughs) I don't work for them. I promise. I work here. This podcast is getting
0: a little too New York centric. Yeah. We
6: have have people all over the okay, Okay. Okay. But it was very recommended by them. And I was like, don't you worry. I have already tasted that fine brew.
0: Yeah, that was a good beer.
6: James also recommends it. James Lynch, Lynch uh, field editor. Okay. He loves Action Bronson. Yeah, he loves Action
0: Bronson, who is a YouTube chef and star a rapper. rapper. Okay, great. Yes. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> I am old. So Action Bronson is an interesting character, and his beer was very good.
6: Did we have any opinions about this beer, by the way? Because I don't remember you saying anything. huh? No.
1: About this one? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's pretty tasty. I think it has a little less body than
0: I... Expect, but I think the flavor's pretty good. I feel like there should be more body for someone from Iron Maiden.
1: Yeah, that is surprising. You know and what also because should I be mean,
0: thick. It should be like
6: blood. Like I a, really porter, a, a porter, a porter should Man. be pretty
1: strong too, right? I feel like six percent is like not that strong for yeah. a porter. Yeah, and I would have thought Iron Maiden would go for like a well, serious they have, maximum.
6: This is actually one of four. They have four of these Trooper beers. It's like a line. So there's an original. They did, I think, a Halloween one. Or no, hollowed. pardon me. And then a 666 limited edition. Whoa. So this is just one of them. So the others... We Wait, what is this one called again? Trooper Red and Black Porter.
0: Trooper Red and Black Porter.
6: Yeah. Okay. It's got a kick-ass label, though. It does have a Deserving kick-ass label. Deserving of Iron
0: Maiden. Mm-hmm. It so. actually looks...
1: When I saw, I was like, man, this label reminds me of something. It's definitely Iron Maiden.
6: Oh Well, good. They did their yeah, job. They're,
1: they're on, on brand.
0: So the way we always end this segment is, would you buy this? Would you buy any of the celebrity beers that we have tasted?
1: The Action Bronson one, I would. I actually think this Porter, this Iron Maiden Porter, is pretty good. I'm not a big Porter drinker, but every once in a while I'm in the mood, I would, I would get
0: this. Yeah. Yeah. I would drink either of those too. Yeah, I would actually, I like the Lenny's one. You know, I think yeah? if, I it's. I a little it's just, too sweet for me. I think, honestly, they're good, but they're kind of novelty beers in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, especially for a gift, if you know somebody who's a huge fan of any of these people, that's why you get them, isn't
6: it? What about the Woodstout? from Stone Brewing that one you guys liked oh yeah that one was
0: pretty good who was that by
6: Will Wheaton and it's by Stone Brewing Company didn't we debate who Will Wheaton was for like 20 minutes he's an actor he was in Stand By Me and Uh. Star Trek The Next Generation
0: I feel like these actors who were in like a couple of things I'm always like who
6: well that's how they get to have
1: beers well they have just enough celebrity to get like an average dude who brews beers for a living to be like oh yeah
6: yeah. Oh, true. Yeah, like, like Stand, Tom, by me. Stand By Me. Yeah. I, Let's make well, your beer. Hey, okay,
0: Stand By Me is a great movie. It well, is a great movie.
6: It's not like Tom Green who has not too much. So is there, for is there a Brad Pitt beer? I don't know. I haven't found one. All right. Is there a Brad Pitt of beers? That's a whole nother question. Remember the celebrity doppelganger There's, thing no. you were going to do? Yeah, give?
1: I do remember that, but nothing can be Brad.
6: Okay. Ryan Gosling. It was the Ryan Gosling of beers.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's our show, y'all. The Most Useful Podcast Ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Brandcasters, Inc. at www.brandcastingu.com. We'd like to thank Bettina Warshaw and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. And if you want to read more about life hacks, projects, science, and technology, check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening.